Hey guys, so before we start the show, we wanted to let you know about a brand new podcast coming soon from America Media. You know, that place where we all work. It's called Plague, Untold Stories of AIDS and the Catholic Church. So it's hosted by our colleague, Mike O'Loughlin. And I remember when Mike came to me a couple of years ago and sort of just told me about this idea he had, I realized two things. One, I didn't really know anything about this part of American Catholic history. And two, this would make an awesome narrative podcast. And our bosses evidently agreed. And so Mike has spent the last couple of years interviewing the very people who lived, fought, worked, and grieved their ways through this period. Yeah, this is an amazing project. Episode one is launching on World AIDS Day, December 1st. But you can go to americamag.org slash plague or wherever you listen to your podcasts and listen to the trailer and subscribe now. We'll also be bringing Mike onto the show next month to talk about the podcast. So you'll definitely want to listen to the show before that happens. Again, go subscribe to Plague. Okay, on to the show. And welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Hello, everyone. Sorry, I'm a little distracted. My my apartment is flooding right now. Oh, no. Oh, so no. That's, I think it's going to be fine. But okay, uh, yeah, Amanda's at home, and there are people frantically mopping up water on our oh lord so sure it's fine it's fine yeah get get off your cell phones i'm off of it (laughs) ready to roll (laughs) all right what are we drinking this week oh we're drinking we have we have a really special Mm -hmm. uh, it's related so we're drinking rock which is a mediterranean liquor Um, it's a little bit like ouzo but we have this anise uh, flavored yes tastes like licorice yes Mm -hmm. and uh the reason we have it on is because it came it's israel's most popular liquor and our good friends from Unorthodox. Sorry, I took took your job. <laughs> Unorthodox is on the show this week. It's okay. You got really excited because we are having Stephanie Butnick and Liel Leibovitz for the second time in studio. Yes. As longtime listeners of the show know, Unorthodox is our older sibling in the podcasting world. Um, they are a Jewish podcast, and we had them on way back on our one-year liturgical anniversary, and we're so excited to have them back to talk about their new project, the Newish Jewish Encyclopedia. Yeah, it's got everything from, uh, what is it? It's like Drake, Jeff Goldblum, and what's the word that we've all been struggling to say? Thanksgiving Hanukkah. Thanksgivica, which is when Hanukkah aligned with Thanksgiving one year. But it's this very serious take sometimes, and also very light irreverent. Take. Irreverent, <laughs> uh, yeah. So much like their podcast. Yes. So what? It's a really fun conversation, and you're gonna love it. But first, signs of the times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week, so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So our first story comes from Being Frank, the segment of our show where Pope Francis tells us what to do. Uh, Pope Francis celebrated on Sunday the third World Day of the Poor with a Mass at St. Peter's, and it was followed by lunch with more than 1,500 of Rome's poor. Yes, and in his homily, he described uh, poor people as the treasure of the church. He said, the poor remind us how we should live the gospel, like beggars reaching out to God. And he suggested that as Christians, we should ask ourselves, do I help someone who has nothing to give me in return? Do I, a Christian, have at least one poor person as a friend? That last question, I thought, really like cut through a lot of the noise on yep. over the weekend, mm-hmm. right? Just sort of like, do you have one person who's a friend that is poor? Yeah, do you? <laughs> Yeah, well, I rem- this Pope Francis has said similar things in the past, and I uh, had an experience this past year where I realized that uh, there was someone who was sleeping right outside my apartment, 
and I had I didn't know what their name was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus tells a story in the Bible about someone who doesn't know the yeah, name of the person <laughs> sleeping outside their door, and that person ends up in hell. So out of maybe fear and not as much compassion, uh, I tried to reach out and get to know this person, and um, it's been really beneficial. And like, just like he he has said, like just knowing you that you remembered my name, he he was shocked that I would even go out of my way to do that, which is like really sad. And no, I like I I. Str- I struggle with this because like obviously the what he's calling for is not just that, you know, mm-hmm. when you're walking down the streets in New York City, you you make an effort to give or talk to people who are living on the street like, he, no, he really means like be friends with people who yeah. are poor, um, which is I don't I don't know. It's just like you live your life and you move in the circles you do. And unless, you know, in my case, unless I go out of my way, it's not going to happen naturally. So this is like a pretty big challenge. Um, and like I've, I've had experiences that I've talked about on the show mm-hmm. of, you know, of trying to reach out to someone who was experiencing a crisis, um, who was homeless. And it was, it kind of ended up being scary for me. Um, and it was pretty aggressive. So mm-hmm. there's also that when I'm thinking about it. So yeah, this is, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard truth. Yeah, it's definitely, I definitely saw this and felt extremely challenged because I know I'm totally guilty of this, especially in a place like New York. There's so many people experiencing homelessness that you see on the train or just walking to your off to the, to our offices. And I often think, oh, the problem is so much bigger than me. I'm not going to make a difference. So why should I even bother doing that? And that's an awful way to think, especially because as Catholics, like we've been saying, we have to do better. Pope Francis wants us to do better. But yeah, this is, I mean, a good challenge, I think, for all of us to think about, especially mm-hmm. as we're moving into Advent here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's not our only Pope Francis story this week, right, Olga? Correct. So our next Pope Francis story, he is considering adding a definition of ecological sins to the church's catechism. Now, this came out while he was speaking at a conference on the theme criminal justice and corporate business on November 15th. Yeah, I don't know if corporate criminalism has made him think ecological sins because right, corporations... <laughs> are the biggest polluters in the world. Anyway, (laughs) that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, updating the catechism feels like it's always a big deal anytime the Pope says this. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, the last time he did this is when he, he, um, I think he was around the death penalty and saying that it's basically never permissible. And that raised up a lot of controversy. Some people were kind of upset that Pope Francis was meddling in the eternal truths of the church um and this is a big this would be a big change um i think i a lot of people like you know we we know it's not great to litter or pollute or to eat too much meat or whatever but i don't think a lot of people feel that as sin right kind of like an optional thing that you Mm -hmm. would be be better if you didn't do it yeah there's like a teaching to you know respect god's creation and be good stewards but it's maybe not as detailed and outlined as maybe other sins are like especially like if we have a lot of detail and specificity in the area of something like uh, sexual morality, right? Like, and maybe it would be good if we also had some specificity in terms of uh, ecological sins, but that might uh, indict me on a number of things. <laughs> I think it would indict all of us, Zach, not just you. Um, but I do think this is a good idea because similar to the SOT we were just discussing, I think often people think about this issue as if it's bigger than them and do not want to make mm-hmm. any changes. Like sometimes I think, oh, I don't want to recycle because it's all the way on the other side of my building and I don't want to do this. Looking at you, Ashley. <laughs> hey, I just admitted, Ashley, that I am the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm, I'm, that was not a sub. Yeah. That was totally me. But I think it is a good idea to have Pope Francis have this kind of language. 
Yeah, and at the end of the day, I guess Ashley is a vegetarian, so probably has the smallest ecological and I footprint. I fly a lot less than you do. That's true. Well, <laughs> guess you're just that much holier than me, Ashley. <laughs> All right, what is our last story, Saint our- Ashley? <laughs> Our final story uh, comes from the Pew Research Center, which uh, just put out a survey that has some interesting findings about how Americans think about um, the place of religion in society. So the big headline was that most Americans see religion as a force for good, uh, but at the same time, (laughs) they want churches and other houses of worship to stay out of politics. Hmm. Yeah, and this was, they had a lot of interesting findings here, but I think the one that stood out to me was when they, you know, CNS had a report where they broke it down um, how the findings were among Catholics. And when Catholics were asked if churches should speak on social and political issues, 62% of them said no and 37% said yes, That's which crazy. surprised me. Right, because I think we've all expressed on this podcast before that we want our religious leaders in politics more than they are, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. My sense is that when people are answering this questions, they might, I don't know, Catholics are just as divided as any other voting bloc in this country. Um, You know, it's basically down the middle of Democrats and Republicans. So, like, if you are a Democrat, you probably aren't going to want your priests saying that you have to vote for a Republican and vice versa. So I feel like it's this polarization that, like... You know, if if your priest is going to be on the other side, you just don't want to hear it. Well, and it was interesting. I The poll broke down and most people generally agreed that they didn't want their religious congregations endorsing specific candidates, mm-hmm. which I to the point you raised. But in, but it feels like there's I think the sense that uh, politics is so corrosive and people want religion to be like a a bomb. Right. Yeah. Like they want it to be a comfort, which is both understandable and maybe an opportunity to challenge people a little bit like yeah maybe you should be a little uncomfortable in church when you hear about politics no and the idea that i don't know this like easy breakdown between society and politics that that it doesn't seem that clean to me like our two previous stories like when pope francis is talking about ecological sin or befriending the poor is that is that political I, i i think it has political implications maybe there's a lot of inward looking with like, I think a lot of emphasis on religion, sort of like mindfulness. And mm. there's not a lot of like society and politics require you to look out and look outside of yourself. Right. And that's really tough in an individualistic culture. Maybe that's unpopular to say. I don't right. Know. But I think going back to the point you made earlier, Zach, I think there is this kind of fear of feeling uncomfortable in these kind of spaces where, you know, you mentioned we're going there to have faith serve as a kind of bomb. But I think that we should start asking ourselves, why don't we get uncomfortable and talk about politics and talk about them in the context of the gospel? Because I think that is something that for me is so soothing whenever something awful happens in this country or some politician says something awful. It is so comforting to have a pastor who can say like, hey, this was really horrible. How can we as Catholics talk about this? Yeah. And if your religions aren't engaged in politics, you know who is? Like every other segment of American society, which like lobbyists and corporations Mm -hmm. and all these terrible interest groups, they're definitely interested in politics. So I don't know. I think religion needs to be there to provide a moral voice. I would agree. Well, at the end of the day, religion and politics reminds me of Thanksgiving, (laughs) that place where it's always awesome to bring up both of those things. Uh, So that's maybe a good transition to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. We will be uh, we'll be off next week. So this has been your Catholic News segment for the next couple weeks.
Joining us in studio today is two-thirds of the Jewish podcast Unorthodox, Stephanie Butnick and Liel Leibovitz. Welcome to Jesuitical again. Shalom. Shalom. Uh, So we're going to be talking about your encyclopedia, but before we introduce that, is there like a, do you have a guide to Hebrew pronunciation in there? Is there an entry for that? I I think I kind of rocked my name. Did I? Two-thirds of Israelis wouldn't even get my name I was thinking like Olga must have consulted (laughs) some. Full disclosure, I've been listening to you guys introduce yourselves for like (laughs) the past 24 hours, so I really perfected it. So it looks like you have gifts for us. Uh, do you want or to introduce those? Oh, I, I have a major gift. So, you know, I was I was very moved when, when Pope Francis referred to the Jews as our elder brothers in the faith. Uh, and so like like a good elder brother, I figured my, my duty is to, to get everyone drunk and acquainted with new spirits. This is Arak, uh, or Arak, as Americans call it sometimes. Uh, it is an anise-based liquor that Israelis absolutely love. Uh, and I will now prepare it for you. I would say it's anise. Anise? Anise? Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah. star anise. What yeah, yeah star anise, yeah. It's like <laughs> okay. a licorice liqueur. Right. Okay. And while you're, while you're preparing, the, the uh, this is drank throughout the Middle East, yes? Oh, yes. This is basically uh, the Lebanese equivalent of ouzo. Mm. It has the same kind of vibe Okay, so it's to it. Uh, but it's, you know, true to the Middle East, it's slightly uh, less well-behaved. <laughs> and on, on what sort of occasions would one drink this? Well, um, can I actually read you the entry on Ara from our new book, The Newest Jewish Encyclopedia? <laughs> we actually yes. just brought you on to read from the encyclopedia. The whole it's interview. my favorite thing. Um, okay, Arak. If you find yourself in an Israeli bar, forget the beer, forgo the wine, and don't even think about ordering the whiskey. When in proximity to the Mediterranean, the only permissible libation is Arak, a delightfully alcoholic beverage made of grapes and aniseed. The proper way to consume it, as we are seeing right now in front of us, um, is one-third Arak, two-thirds water, and precisely two ice cubes, which you can hear right now. It also has the advantage of being the about the cheapest liquor you can buy in Israel, as well as a potential bridge to peace. Israelis, Syrians, Jordanians, Palestinians, and Lebanese all adore it. Wow. All right. Ooh, I'm is the right excited. time to drink it 1230 on a Tuesday? <laughs> For some people, there sure. is no right time to drink it. <laughs> it looks Amazing. super tasty. Our what listeners can't, can't see here? it, but it looks so good. Well, thank you guys again for thank coming you. on the show. Yes. And cheers. L'chaim. L'chaim. I have to oh, say, yeah. I like, like, I love black <sighs> licorice jelly beans. No, I was about to say, I feel like what, I just it ate a black marker in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> black marker. That's the black yeah, marker. That's was, right. Don't think it was licorice. Like black marker. <laughs> this is our idea of pleasure in Israel. <laughs> Okay, so the book that Stephanie just read from is the Newish Jewish Encyclopedia. So can you tell our listeners what it is and some of the topics that you guys cover in the book? So, yeah, basically, we started our podcast, Unorthodox, four years ago with the idea that there were conversations that we were having in our office that we thought other Jews in their living rooms, in their synagogues, in their classrooms were or, talking or about, Or Catholics too. maybe listening in. <laughs> we'll right get to you more, guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you know the main point of us being here is to, is to tell you that you guys have to write one yes. of these books. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, no, you yeah, absolutely do. There's absolutely no choice. All right. You well, need well, to write what's... a Catholic encyclopedia right, <laughs> right now. slow down. So, so, <laughs> sorry. So basically, we thought it'd be like a fun, light take on the news. You know, our first episode, mm-hmm. we talked about whether uh, Andy Samberg could be the next Adam Sandler. You know, we really tackled the big Jewish issues. Um, <laughs> But what we started hearing from listeners was that 
they wanted us to reflect the, their their identities, their diversity, their the, the things that they were dealing with in their lives. So they basically pushed us and said, no, we don't just want a silly look at Jewish life. We actually want you guys to explore real things that are important to us. And we were hearing from people with a lot of questions, people who say, you know, I'll never go to synagogue, but I want Shabbat to be part of my life. How can I take this Friday night and make it different? Or, you know, I'm going to a bris. Do I bring a gift? You know, mm-hmm. people had these really both foundational and and sort of funny and quirky questions about Judaism. And we realized that there was actually no place that they could go to find those simple answers. Right. And we figured that, you know, there's no money in the Internet. So we wanted to go with books, <laughs> yeah, which is sense. where the big bucks were. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like Google is very unreliable, I'm sure, for yeah. a lot of these, these Especially things. searching Jewish stuff. Like you can I quickly. Did, I did Google Jewish Encyclopedia and there was one published in 1901 or 1906. We have the full set in our office. Someone was so. like, I found these in my mom's storage unit. What do I do? <laughs> See, but this is a crazy thing because the last time someone attempted uh, a project of, of this sort was 40 years ago. And I think about the things that changed in America and, and in Jewish communal life right. in these 40 years. I mean, Jews of color were not represented 40 years ago. You know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender Jews were, you know, nowhere to be and seen. And now in. Drake has his own entry. And in now we have Drake. And yeah. we have all this And he's fixed everything. You know, ways <laughs> to be Jewish. And we wanted a book that gave you as many entries into Judaism as lived experience in the contemporary American Jewish scene. So just just to really quickly run through some of the entries so yes. listeners get an idea of the types of things the you're breath. considering. <laughs> uh, Aaron, Bagel, King David, Drake, Florida, uh, Goldblum, comma, Jeff, Hummus, Jesus Christ, Marvel Comics, Midrash, Pizza Bagel, Psalms, Seinfeld Settlements, Thanksgivinga, Worrying, and Zionism. So... A lot's going on there. <laughs> Pop culture and history and politics. You missed my favorite entry, which is that was Christmas. Next question. Uh, okay. Oh, Why is oh we're going to so... talk about Christmas. Okay, all right, we'll get yeah, to that. I, I'm very excited to talk about Jews and Christmas. <laughs> the point I think of 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 combining the pop culture with the serious religious stuff, the historical with the frivolous and, and giving some entries a more hefty tone and others a really jokey tone like the Sergey Brin entry just says Google it, uh, which we thought was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the idea is that there are, there are a lot of people out there who come to this, uh, to this tradition, to this heritage, to this practice from really, really, really different points of view. Mm-hmm. And if you try to be like, you will must know about Shmini at Seret and the sacrifices that were made, people be like, no, thank you. I'm going to binge on like Disney Plus. I don't care about this. So we really wanted to create something that had a thousand different ways in. Among the many things we share, I think, Catholics and Jews, is this this notion that for a lot of young people, especially, the main or a main way of interacting with the faith really often is through some kind of parental disgruntlement, right? Like, why didn't you go to church on Sunday? (laughs) Why are you not observing X, Y, Z? And I think for many young Jews and, and maybe young Catholics as well, it's become this sort of like... Ugh, groan-inducing. It's all you always hear about in terms of problems, like parishes are closing down, synagogues don't have memberships. It's not a problem. It's not a burden. It's like the greatest gift, and it has all these different surprises that are all yours, like all yours to discover and have fun with. So let's have fun. Not be frivolous. Not be silly about it. Be very serious and respectful about you know the faith, but but also joy, you know, and pride. Right. Be right. a little silly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so. Favorite entry, Lael, you haven't, I don't think you've given your favorite entry yet. Um, may I? Yes. And feel free to read it if you think I, our, I it'll will, be I extra will read it. I'm very curious about this. Oh, you know which one I'm choosing. Stop me if you've heard this one before. 
the ambitious and narcissistic son of a rich man, shocks the world by somehow ascending to power, mainly by colluding with a large empire. But he's still a real estate guy at heart, so he spends most of his energy building huge structures that are very, very fancy. A lot of people are saying lives an exorbitantly flashy lifestyle and is hated by pretty much everybody. We're talking, of course, about Herod. The puppet king <laughs> the Romans installed in 40 BCE to govern Judea. We owe him Masada, the port in Caesarea, and most important, the Second Temple. Oh, my God. Wow. That's, well, that's incredible. Great. I don't think I've seen the Herod is Trump take before. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Herod is 100%. <laughs> Trump, oh, my God. Trump, Trump Tower, basically. Is. Wow. wow. All right. That's just a piece of what you can get into in this book. And uh, you guys write in the introduction, the only way to get Judaism wrong is by not asking any questions. And actually, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of your show is... You, you just sort of like, for the Gentiles that come on, are just an open book. Like, all right, what do you yeah. want to know? <laughs> and now that we have you here, what's what, yes. we have a number of topics here. Do you yeah. want to pick one? I, I will get choose into? one. So one of the entries is atheism. And you sit, you know, you write that there are a large number of Jews who consider themselves atheists, which for a Catholic seems weird. Like you kind of, you got to buy into the whole God thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so how does that get negotiated? Like do... By the way, that's one of the most common questions we get from our Gentiles, which is some formulation of that, which is like, if I stop believing, I'm no longer a practicing. Like the idea of being, you could just, you're always Jewish, even if you don't believe in God. I mean, that's something that our tradition actually is sort of, it's not comfortable with, but this idea of questioning, right? It makes, it makes sense if, if questioning is such an important part of your tradition that you would continue questioning to the logical conclusion of the questions, Mm -hmm. which is, what is God? Is is there a God? I mean, it's sort of funny because it's like they basically set themselves up for this as a religion, right? Like when they were writing everything down, like you must question everything. But it makes sense that people now are like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> and also being having the sort of unique setup of being both a religion and a people uh, kind of intertwined historically, theologically. Uh, makes it quite possible for someone to be deeply culturally Jewish and at the same time not to profess any faith uh, to the tenets of the religion. Uh, it's something that as a, an observant Jew, I'm still very much grappling with. Uh, but at the same time, as Stephanie said, it's something that is very much an essential, you know, modern Jewish experience. I think we invented it, kind of. <laughs> well, no? according to this book, we invented most things. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and you should take credit for it because, yeah. Um, last book was like 40 years ago, so no one's going to pick that up. Um Moving on, uh, Christmas. Yes. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think some people it. would be surprised to find mm-hmm. Christmas in this book. Well, so, so there's two more, two really important things about Christmas. Oh, there's so much it's Christmas a huge, in this it's book. A, yeah, there's a lot of Christmas in so this So there's book. like a full two-page spread on Christmas, and that is not the case for most things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about Jews and Christmas. So there's two main thrusts of this. One is that no one loves Christmas more than Jews. Why? We have our own... I don't know because we it, to us I think it's like the ultimate Americana mm-hmm. and like going and and there's you know there's there's so the big spread Jews and Christmas it's on a red page the first thing is Chinese food and so like this idea of why Jews uh, first of all ate Chinese food to begin with back in the tenement days of the Lower East Side and then also why Chinese food on Christmas became such an actually important tradition not just like a funny thing people yeah. do TLDR. It's because the pork is minced really small and hidden in fried rice, so you can't And there's really... no dairy. Right. To be honest, I saw this Jews and Chinese food entry, and when we were prepping, I was like, I've been a New Yorker most of my life, and this is the first time I've ever, like, heard about this relationship. Oh, oh I interesting. Was, I had heard it was because, like, all the Italian restaurants were, like, decked out with, yes. like, what a lot of iconography. Yeah. iconography, right? Yeah. But also closed for Christmas. Yeah. When the Chinese weren't. Right. And there's, like, a similar p- flavor profile of, like, that oniony, garlicky, Overcooked. Do you guys stuff. do this? Do you go to? 
I yes, I do, and that's actually like sort of a weirdly sacred thing. The other takeaway is that basically Jews invented Christmas in America through the songs. Like, think about all those Christmas songs. This was very surprising to me. I thought like so. It starts off with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is actually written by a Jew. Right? As yeah, this, I'm dreaming about, of a white Christmas. And yep. literally every Irving Christmas Berlin. song wow. you could think of. He scored a holiday for America. Yeah. And by the way, none of those songs are explicitly religious in any way, which is kind of their genius. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Me saying Jews invented Christmas. I, well, I don't, <laughs> not the whole, not the holiday. Well, I'm here the, for this hot take. So well, I'm here for you guys to convince so, yeah. <laughs> I also wonder if I remember it for like my friend Kyla being sort of a very othering experience growing up in a very, like there were not a lot of Jews in Ohio. I'll just say. And so when we had the Christmas assembly in our public school, like this was sort of like an opera, like I remember he would be set apart from that. And right. And so his, in some ways he felt his Jewish identity the most on Christmas. And I don't know if there's something to that where you see the, the sort of majority culture celebrating one thing. Well, I wonder if your friend from high school is Kyle Broflovsky from South Park, (laughs) who is in this book, because um, there's a South Park episode where he sings, I'm a Jew, I'd be merry, but I'm Hebrew. It's hard to be a Jew on Christmas. All right, moving on to past Christmas. Uh, Unless there's any more Christmas you want to get in. I don't want to cut you off. No. Actually, this is is good for the next century because it's interrupting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You have have this great line. uh, Olga, do you want to read what they have from Deborah Tannen about interrupting? Sure, sure. So Jewish New Yorkers, many New Yorkers who are not Jewish, and many Jews who are not from New York have high involvement, conversational styles, and are often perceived as interrupting in conversations with speakers from different backgrounds. It's like a nice academic way of saying Jews interrupt a lot and New Yorkers interrupt a lot. She actually called it collaborative overlapping. No, cooperative Cooperative overlapping. Cooperative overlapping. I like that. By the way, Thank I don't you for interrupting me. we've <laughs> let any of you finish a sentence right. since we've been on this air. Which, so I'm sorry. No, no, no. We totally appreciate it. It's super Which, conversational. By the way, it is one of the... There are many pleasures of listening to your podcast, but like one of the major pleasures is... I know. You let each We're other so civil. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, what are these people doing? So like us and yet so unlike us. I will say that... I was at a doctor's office this morning and the doctor was like talking to me and she said, so are you from New York? And I was like, oh, Long Island, the suburbs. She's like, yeah, you talk really fast. (laughs) I just was trying to make the most of my like 20 minutes of your FaceTime. But yeah. So the interesting thing is there is a speech pattern. Look, we can say it's New York, right? But a lot Mm -hmm. of times New York is code for Jewish in Mm -hmm. in a lot of weird ways. Um, The idea of the Jewish dinner table, right? The Shabbat table, the, the Rosh Hashanah table. That is like a very lively conversation where everyone's jumping in. Everyone feels like they can talk. Young people, younger people can talk. Older people can talk. It's an intergenerational conversation that everyone feels emboldened to participate in. And there's there's yelling. There's arguing. That's the whole Passover Seder is basically people arguing all night long, telling the story and asking questions and all of that. So there definitely is a way in which I think without even realizing it, you're when you grow up Jewish, you're steeped in this specific conversational style that maybe is confusing to nice Gentiles. All right. We want to get into one more entry. Judar. What is it? What are the signals of Judar? Go ahead. Judar is interesting and it has sort of not an inverse, but a sort of analog, which is bageling. So Judar. <laughs> is that the dating app? <laughs> that, that, that's. Oh, wait. What's it that is now. Yes, it should be. So basically Judar is. Trademark that. <laughs> Judar is. Hold on. I'm just find the entry. Jufro. <laughs> J Jew is a, a very thick uh, letter yeah. in this encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> 
So here's the thing. Judar is a little bit problematic, right? It's this idea that you can sort of tell that someone's Jewish, that you are Jewish yourself. I think that's the main the main thing. Yeah. And you can say, like, I'm pretty sure that guy's Jewish. It's not that he's wearing a yarmulke, but it's that I kind of, like, just sense something about so how's him. It, yeah, how's that uh, and he just popped a lactate pill, so. It's totally serious. <laughs> sure one of us. It's, okay. it's deeply problematic. Um I think maybe it's because we are a minority people and we are so sort of desperate to find others of us. Whereas I don't know that Catholics necessarily like go out of their way to spot other Catholics because I would just, say there is a version of this on like Catholic dating or not like not Catholic dating apps, but dating apps like personally, I'm always like looking for hints. So like, that's what's that's like, what oh, bageling he's is. He's holding a baby. Is that a baptism? But that's 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 <laughs> what bageling is. So bageling is basically like you meet someone at a party and you mm-hmm. are trying to suss out if that person is Jewish right. in a way that isn't like asking if they're Jewish. So, like, right. you mentioned summer camp, you mentioned a bar mitzvah. You, you, me- you mentioned the Holocaust. <laughs> you know. Great party trick. But, you know, or, like, they say something about camp. Like, so it, it goes both ways. So it is like what you're saying. You're yeah. trying to get clues. So, like, can you tell us what you would do? Like, how, how what, someone what do you would look suss, for suss out a fellow yeah. Catholic? Well, like, number of siblings. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazing. Um, like I said, like, sometimes there will be a picture, like, in a church, and I can, like, tell, like, are there stained glass? Is it Protestant? Is it Catholic? Like, is there a baptismal font? That's Just how font? stained are <laughs> yeah. these glasses? Is their last name Irish? Yeah. yeah. What, yeah or, or Latino. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so are there any, like, cl- once you've made contact with someone, or in any case, like, are there any things you can say? I think one thing that I've noticed is, because my fiancé is Protestant, so I've learned that Protestants are a little more explicit in the ways that they talk about God. Like, I will be in his family circle, and they'll just be like, praise God. Whereas as a Catholic, I never grew up just saying that in everyday conversation. So now if I'm in a space and someone's like, oh, I'm a Christian, and like, depending on what they say, if they're much more open about their Christianity— I tend to assume that they're Protestant, like because of my fiance has just spoiled me now. Yeah. That's really interesting. Like uh, conversely, if they're at, if they ask you, have you been saved? They're probably not Catholic. That is yeah. a big one because when I step into Protestant, whenever I meet his like classmates or something, they're like, "So when were you saved?" Yeah, and I'm just like, with Jews, it'll be like, "So have you been saving?" It's <laughs> <laughs> a very different thing. <laughs> oh, I will say, like, I'm maybe living my life incorrectly because I'm not being asked if I've been saved in a long time. Like, right. it doesn't happen to me regularly when you work at a Jewish magazine. So I feel like I need to get back out there. Just have people try to save me. <laughs> right. Why would you want... I just want to be wanted. Right. Yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> I will say it's, like, one of the most flattering things when I'm coming out of the subway and I get asked, excuse me, are you Jewish? And I'm like, With- damn. Oh. So that's in this book. That's Chabad, which is, is this um, sort of sect of Hasidic Judaism, and they are the most public version of, of of Jews in most cities, right? They're the ones who will stop you on any street corner and ask you if you're Jewish. And which there's is an amazing a, episode of Unorthodox one where of my you favorites. embed yourselves in this and you are so uncomfortable oh, yeah. with it. Can you imagine going Although up to people on the street the, and saying, are you one, Catholic? Excuse me, are you Catholic? Yeah. Stephanie's the only one who actually scored points in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out that track, yeah. being a six foot five, 300 pound bearded guy is like, are you Jewish? Be like, nope, nope, no, not I today. Definitely not. not. <laughs> I was up until two seconds ago. I'm not anymore. Uh, I, you guys should we should just stand outside and be like have you been saved have you been saved can so we save you I would like to know when are you writing this encyclopedia uh, yes. well that was going to be one of our final questions but you kind of got into it early on is this something you recommend that we do oh, create 100%. the catholic encyclopedia what, yeah, 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 what did, yeah. you, what did Seriously, you get out yes. of it like personally I'll tell you what, uh, yeah. it, it has served as this incredible platform to go out there uh, all over the country, and, and which is what all we've been doing for the last you know, two, three months and all that we will do for the foreseeable future, <laughs> um, and really understand 
that there is the kind of crisis out there that not a lot of people are are sort of very coherent about, but people are really looking for ways to connect. And for some, for whatever reason, the old institutions uh, that for the most part are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, right? How long have we had synagogues? How long have we had churches? They don't always are the right fit for everyone. Uh, and so this is such a great way to leave this year Manhattan or the Bronx or Queens or wherever we may or Brooklyn wherever may we may live, uh, and and go out there. There's nowhere else besides those four places. There's nowhere else west of the East River. And 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 talk to real people who are who are really trying very hard uh, to be part of the fold, and who just want some way to have this conversation started. Uh, and the really, there isn't a greater privilege and, and there isn't, I think, a greater challenge, especially for Jews, because a lot of us these days, uh, and again, I think this is true for Catholics too, feel really uncomfortable. I mean, for Jews, there's, you know, obviously a surge in anti-Semitism, but there's also a feeling within the community that, you know, it's, is this the right thing for me? You know, we're modern people. We live in this time and all these prayers and all these faiths and all these beliefs, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're a little too archaic or just like a little bit too awkward. And it's just such a great way to go meet people and say like, okay, you know, we, we don't need you to, you know, kind of keep every single one of those 613 commandments, but we do need you to feel like this is yours. We do need you to start some real conversation and to claim traditions that belong to you. And not only is this like actually a really interesting thought exercise, what would you put in your encyclopedia of X, right, of Catholicism, of of Judaism? What would you include in this this canon, right? There's obviously things we left out, but we wanted to say this is this is a good start, right? A to Z. And that's why I think what you guys are doing on the show is so important because you're basically saying this is it. We're living it every day. We're talking about it. We're ra- we're grappling with it. And so I think people really want that foundational knowledge. And they want, I think, more than ever now, they want to feel grounded in something. And actually, religion is a great salve for, all, for, for what's going on right now. And to say, there is something where you are welcome and you are wanted and you can learn a little bit more. You can, you know, pick up a book and skim through it. You can read a long entry. You can do whatever you want just to engage with something. And also the idea of, of, of building community, which... You know, the Internet really, uh, among its many, you know, devastations, has really done a number on, you know, the idea that you belong to a group of people who do not necessarily see eye to eye on many issues that are very crucially important to you and the way you live your life. But yet at the same time, you do not get to just cast them away. You do not get to just say, well, I'm only going to hold court with the people who see exactly eye to eye with me. The idea that you have a book out there that is filled with contradictions, that is filled (laughs) with provocations, and that forces you into the same physical space with other human beings uh, whose opinions and ideas you find absolutely despicable, and yet who you must love as brothers and sisters because they are your people. Uh, that is such a challenge. Uh, I, I fail at this every day, but but I I, I keep failing better, which is comforting. Yeah. I love that idea, failing yeah. better. Yeah. Well, longtime listeners of this podcast will know we basically just stole the idea from unorthodox, so it would only be fitting that we we are privileged stole this one too from <laughs> our I, from our el- elder siblings. I think you're absolutely. <laughs> and you guys will come on our show to talk about your oh, book. Our Catholic, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Can I our, ask a question? If you yeah. each had like top entries Ooh, in the newish Catholicish encyclopedia, definitely saints, because my fiance is always like, I don't understand Catholics and saints. It mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. There's God and there's you. I don't understand why you pray to anyone 
someone else. So I think definitely that one. And so I by think the way, and so that is an spreads. entry that explains that. And then there's like a pull-out oh, graphic of all the so I want that. I want that, so I want that book so badly. So basically, now. you guys have yeah. planned this book for us. Yes. Yes. So we just have to pitch it somewhere. <laughs> and I, I want that big spread, but for liturgical garb. Because there's like oh, all wow. of the names. Yeah. That is a good one. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Before you let us go, can I just tell you two entries that are on this Judar page that I can't stop looking at? JCC, a Jewish community center. The entry is where Gentiles play racquetball. All right. And JC. <laughs> and J- Jesus Christ, it says they don't make Jews like him anymore. That was one of my, it was <laughs> so good. Absolutely. And this is on a page that on the top says Jewish genes. Yes. To give you an idea. <laughs> That's Saturday Night Live ad with Gilda Radner. So are you, are you trying to play us off here? What, What's, what were you saying? I, you were going to outro us? Yeah, I was, yeah. What, I mean, we yeah. do have one last question we that do. we have to ask yes. you. Which you guys can't be stumped because you, you answered this already, but now... If you guys could canonize anyone, Catholic or not, living or dead, who would it be and why? It doesn't. Sorry, I'm just always thinking about Jews. It could be anyone. It could be anyone. anyone. It could be. It could be someone who is Jewish. I think last time I canonized Barbara Streisand, you got yes, really mad that's at me. True, yeah. Yeah. Um, who has a great entry in this? This time I want to double canonize. Abby and Alana, Abby Jacobson Ooh. and Alana Glazer, because so this is one of the fights I had in this book was trying to keep it contemporary. I said we should have Broad City, the Comedy Central TV show on. They were like, we don't know that that's going to be important in 50 years. I do believe Abby and Alana, who are two young, very talented, very funny, very publicly Jewish comics and actresses. And that's so much a part of their of their of their act, basically. And it's not shtick. It actually seems real. I want to like uh, what's. I want to proactively canonize them. Is that yeah. allowed? Oh, yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah, so Saints Abby and Alana. <laughs> I love that show, so very here for it. I can already hear Liel and Mark <laughs> with the rebuttals for that. But I, I like Abby and Alana. Now, so um, as part of a, so as not to kind of go completely down the rabbit hole of being so completely steeped in my faith. Actually, all I've been doing, all I've been reading while we were working on this encyclopedia is, you know, my other great love, which is Catholicism. He's so, like 90% of the way there, guys. Seriously, <laughs> you throughout the process save him. of working on this book, I read I read the, 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 the Jesus books uh, by Pope Benedict XVI. Oh, those are so really? good. Which are amazing. Um, but but if I could canonize someone, can I re-canonize someone? Yeah. Can I, can well, I re-canonize Augustine? Yeah, tell us why. Um, I'll allow it. Which is what I really wanted to name my son. And my wife mm. was like, "We're not, we're not sending Augustine to to day Augustine school, Leibovitz. right? To learn Talmud. That's just not happening." But you know, when 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 you really when you read when, when you when you get serious about religious life and you write this book that tries to explain all these you know theological ideas in ways that people could understand, and then you read about the notion of grace, you're like, "There has never been a greater spiritual engine than this." What a thing! Hallelujah. I feel like you're pandering here. You know, but it's legitimate. <laughs> also, you know, are you know Augustine, that I Abby, this. and Alana all going to hang out? In like Saint and Saint, I, like the Saint food. Having court. read Augustine, I think he would love. Can I just Mary say, <laughs> Zach is going to say it if I don't. Catholics call him Augustine. Augustine is the place in Florida. There you have it, Augustine. <laughs> I also wow. come from the. From the you Middle guys East. waited a long time so, to correct Augustine. us. Yeah. We're too polite. She should have interrupted right. him like thirty seconds. There ago. you have it. Augustine. See, I, you is there an E in his name? There, there is. Yeah, there is. Okay, that's confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's tricky. Because Dylan calls him Augustine. Oh, does he? Yeah. Bob Dylan. Is Bo- that Robert, you- Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> I'm sure, I thought you were. I thought we were going to get a canonization of Bob Dylan. I, is, I think you did that last. I time. think no, you did last. No, I did oh, that. Right. Uh, no, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. I have issues with. You know, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's ish, attitude to religion is way too flighty. Sing credit. Yeah, it's not. It's kind of like well, it's something that happens in the background while I, you know, fritter about. This is not someone who wrestled. 
with the fundaments of life. I'm ready for the anti-Bob Dylan take, but that's coming up next. Uh, let me tell you why. No, I'm trying not we to We will do be it. here next week. <laughs> but the book is, if we could have one of you just read the full title for our listeners and tell us where they can find it. Yes, the book is The Newish Jewish Encyclopedia, From Abraham to Zabars and Everything in Between. It is sold where all books are available on the internet, in your local bookstore, wherever. It is actually not from Abraham to Zabars. The, the book's final entry is, <laughs> is Zyklon B, which is the gas the Nazis use in the death camps, which we thought was very poor for marketing. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of a downer to end <laughs> it, like, You know what? Let's Didn't just it go end with, uh... with thanks a lot, Hitler, or something <laughs> yeah. like that? It does. The last word in this book is Hitler, which is the most <laughs> Jewish thing we could have done. Well, we will end this interview with thank you for, so much for being here. Thank, <laughs> thank you for you coming guys. on. Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time for some housekeeping. We just want to remind you one more time, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have your phone nearby. Go into Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and subscribe to Plague, Untold Stories of AIDS in the Catholic Church, a new podcast from American Media hosted by our friend and colleague, Mike O'Loughlin, digging into the little-known history of the Catholic Church's involvement in the AIDS crisis. All right. And now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God in our week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. I was in Charlotte this past weekend for a friend's 30th birthday. And as I've mentioned, I think repeatedly on the show, anytime I step out of New York City, I'm just it's just like a wonderful reminder of life existing outside of New York City. And Enoch and I started talking about, you know, when do we want to move? Do we want to raise our kids outside of New York? And this is the kind of conversation that even at the start of our relationship terrified me because I thought, why would I leave New York City? Why would I leave my friends, my family? But now I'm just like, oh, okay, I can just trust this process. And this is not saying that we're moving to North Carolina anytime soon, (laughs) but just the willingness to trust in the process and trust that God has taken me to a place where I'm no longer afraid of the unknown. Mm -hmm. It's just super consoling. And of course, it helps that your fiance, that my fiance is just not afraid of anything. Um, (laughs) But it was just really consoling to be in that space and be like, okay, I can be a person who exists outside of the comfort zone I've known most of my whole life. Yeah. Well, you know, it'd be more consoling and comforting. What? Ohio. Ohio. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Don't think I'm ready. That was coming. (laughs) Don't think I'm ready for that Midwest life yet. Um, Mm. I'll embrace the South a little bit more fully. What do you have, Zach? I've got a desolation this week, and it fades into consolation at times. But I've been thinking a lot this week about how to be a good big brother to my sister. Um, She's going through like a really tough time right now. And part of that is it's just been, it's her first year away from Ohio and living in New York. And it's been like a really hard year, um, both in our family and with her friends back home. It's just been like really tough to watch her go through a lot of struggles that I've gone through where like you want to be there for people, but you've got to be here and work at your job and figure out how to buy flights and afford flights and be home for things. And the desolation is, I guess, Knowing that there's only so much I can do, right? Like I can, I can invite her over, make her mac and cheese, do uh, face masks with her, and help her relax. But that's a, you know, there's a recognition that I, I can't do more than that. I can't do everything for it because there's not a lot that's going to make this feel better, quote unquote. Um, 
And the desolation is wanting more than that and feeling uncomfortable. But there's also times where being able to just name that um, is this freedom, right? Like it's not, it doesn't change the situation at all, but it sort of allows me to let God into the process and just um, be there with us. And so bad situation, that's oftentimes a consolation and a desolation, but it's been a desolation this week. Yeah, that's really hard. But I know that Allie (laughs) is very happy that she has her big brother here with her. I'm I'm just <laughs> trying to be a good big brother. Yeah, so. you are. <laughs> what do you got, Ashley? Um, I have a consolation uh, with Shades of Desolation, I guess. Um, so I've been participating in this small faith sharing group at my parish for the past, I guess, six or seven weeks now. Um, and to be honest, I like for most of it, I really was seeing it as kind of like a chore and not feeling like I was getting what I wanted out of it. Like I had this, I had this expectation in my mind of like what faith sharing should be. And it's like part university lecture, part spiritual retreat part like therapy session and it's just like you know sometimes you get a group of people together and it's like kind of awkward and there are a lot of silences and like you don't know what to say and so I was just kind of like feeling kind of meh about it um and then last night we had our last session uh which was kind of also a social and this guy who was in the group who honestly like the whole time like kind of had like a not happy expression on his face and I kind of got the feeling he didn't really want to be there um and I was kind of just confused by him and then he he talked at the last session about like how important this event was for him each week he, he works in like a very high stress job he where he like faces a lot of or some anti-catholic sentiment and like he's a recent convert and just like having this time each week to be with catholics was just like he described it as like a sacred space for him and like just like was really grateful for it um And him saying that just like, I don't know, it's just kind of like a gut punch and wake up call that like I'd let my own expectations like blind me to like the fellowship that could have been happening. So it was consoling that like I had that realization and and that last session was like much more open um, to being present with these people. But, you know, that didn't feel great because I was like looking back on the previous six weeks and being like, oh, wow, I was kind of like being a jerk about this whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think most face sharing groups need more socials in order to open up those spaces for gut punches, right? Like, yeah. yeah. It always leads into better face sharing. I like. Agreed. Yeah, that's I think... why we drink on this podcast before we face mm-hmm. share. I, I was honestly thinking at the end, like, you know, this, the hall we're in is going to get torn down next year. I think we might want to move this to the pub. So yeah, yeah. We'll see. Face sharing in a pub. I can get behind that. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. Production help from Tucker Redding. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio at American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you in December.